C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. Maddie, I feel like it's been many a year. Yes. Since we've sat here. I know, especially for a friendship episode. We're not doing a deep dive on any particular topic, but... No. One of our... chit-chatting. Yeah, so we'll do our old format that we know and Mm -hmm. love. Yeah. And... Should we tell our listeners that we're doing bi-weekly episodes? Yeah, now? big news. Uh, we are now going to be doing our episodes every other week uh, because we love you guys and we want to keep providing excellent content and be able to keep this podcast going as long as you guys listen. Uh, but Maddie and I both have had some major changes at work and there's a lot of traveling going on. Um, so for at least through the spring we're going to do every other week so um it's a great time to catch up if you're behind i know some of our listeners have shared with me that they have a bunch of back backlog episodes to listen to so time to catch up uh if you're missing us and we will also you know share some of our favorite episodes on the weeks that we're not producing new content yes and definitely uh follow us on social media because that will Mm -hmm show you the weeks you know like Shay said we'll post the weeks that we don't have any new episodes and that's a good way if you want to get a little teaser of the episodes or see a picture of you know our guests or whatever if we have a guest or the Mm -hmm. topic um because obviously not every episode will be of interest to everyone um yeah and yes we want to be more consistent and not just leave you guys hanging and you know, I know we said Saturdays every week, but sometimes it bleeds into Sunday or the following week or we just do it to the next week. And so it's really hard. I know if you don't have that consistency. So we want to give back the consistency. Um, and I guess that bleeds into the millennial moments of probably why this episode sounds a little jankier than usual, because I am in a hotel room um, and I didn't bring my full setup because it's very heavy, although I might next time if this becomes a more regular thing. Um, but... Yeah, I got a new job. That's my millennial moment. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned it before. I feel like we haven't talked about it. I feel like you might have once. mentioned it, but I don't know. Maybe in the episode with Sarah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I am still an office plankton, but a much more creative office plankton, which is very exciting. Planning menus um, for the undisclosed meal kit company that I work for. Very, very secretive. I'm sure if you Google Colorado meal kit companies, you can figure it out. So I'm traveling to learn the process and living out of a hotel. Um, Very swanky. And I guess that's my millennial moment is just now that I've kind of, I've visited this office before in my old kind of finance focused role, but it's very interesting. um, Like working with people like chefs who have built a whole career on a creative profession because I've not really done that or worked that closely with people whose whole job it is basically all day is ideating on meals and how to put together ingredients so that's very interesting working with people like that um 
and how much science actually goes into that. And then just more broadly, and I'm sure Shay, maybe you can speak to this after moving Mm -hmm. to Oregon from New York, just how much, and I don't mean this to be disparaging, but just like how much less work people do, (laughs) like how much less time. And on one hand, I'm like, it's so lovely. And like, they generally start working a little bit earlier, I would say. Like, in New York, I typically get, typically get in around 9, 9.30. And mm-hmm. here it's, like, anywhere between, like, 7.30 and 9, I would say, is, yeah. like, the normal time. So timing around commutes, which, like, it's actually the opposite in New York. Like, if you are dependent on a train, it's actually sometimes more advantageous to leave around rush hour because there's more trains available. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so that and then, like by four o'clock people start leaving like if I left my New York office at four I would have to like write an email to my boss explaining why I was leaving early mm-hmm. and like there were multiple times last week that I was there with the woman who I was training with until five thirty, and we had to like close up the office because everyone was gone in the whole office yeah um I've... Oh, and sorry, like on. no one works on the weekend like it's just very different and in some aspects Mm -hmm. I'm like totally healthy awesome work-life balance you live in this like gorgeous place you can go skiing you can go hiking whatever but on the other hand I'm like it's a little inefficient and maybe that's just like the New York in me but I'm like it's a work day and if you're taking like an hour for lunch and then coming in at nine and leaving at four like there is a lot of loss of productivity and it's very hard to schedule meetings with people um Mm -hmm. and so yeah it's just something that I'm getting used to and reevaluating how I work and I'm trying not to put a value judgment on it because I do see the value but I'm also like I think I just see I don't know I see both sides of why people do it so anyways I don't know if you have any feelings on that no I mean I I like it I mean it's it is definitely a huge adjustment um you know coming from New York where again my work days in New York started at 10 Um, and we ended at six and we were expected, like I, on multiple occasions, remember my boss, you know, being like, can you believe so-and-so left at six? And I'm like, well, yeah, cause it says in their employee contract that our day ends at six and I mean nothing disparaging against that former boss. I mean, we had work to do and it should be getting done, but I do notice that out here, people tend to work shorter days and if the weather is nice, the offices clear out. Um, but what I think is interesting is for me, you know, I truly believe that most people don't have more than 40 or 45 hours of work a week, uh, to do. And that any other, unless you're really crunching a deadline, any other work is just kind of, you know, faffing about. So, um, I think, you know, it's interesting to me. I'm like, are the companies out here really any more efficient, um, and I don't, I don't think the answer is always yes. So that's kind of where I can see your point, Maddie. But I do think there are companies, because there's not that time clock punching culture, they people actually do get a lot more done because they don't feel so constrained uh, by those boundaries. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely gets rid of like the bullshit, like busy work stuff. Because mm-hmm. like, like I was having a conversation today with like a member of the culinary team and like they're on a very kind of every week is kind of the same or like they have the days that they're cooking the dishes and stuff and Mm -hmm. we have to slot them into the menu whatever and we were like having this crisis because produce seasonality is like going to be the death of me and 
the head chef was like, well, we can't. I was like, well, can you cook this dish? Like, it mm-hmm. takes 20 minutes. I was like, we need to recook this week. Like, can you cook it? And she was like, well, it's not on the calendar. Like, we can't cook it. Yeah. And, like, that was really hard for me because I was like, it takes 20 minutes Make to cook. I could cook it. Like, yeah. why can't you just add it to the schedule? And she was like, well, the schedule is already packed. And I'm like, yeah, well, your team leaves at four. Like, someone can't stay till 420 to cook this dish for me. You know, like, stuff like that's very frustrating. And it has actual, mm-hmm. like, business impacts and, like, myself and the woman who I'm training with who are more on like the business side of that team Mm -hmm. like she works around the clock like I know for a fact like she was working on the weekend she was like working long hours and no one told her to do that but like I think she's picking up some of the slack from the rest of the teammates who are like yeah not into doing that yeah although Um, so it's very interesting you know it was interesting there's a acquaintance of mine that I follow on LinkedIn and she posted this thing, I think it was yesterday that was so great. And it was a real reminder. She basically said there are no emergencies in business. Um, unless you work in it or PR, she goes pretty much every other department. Um, emergencies are basically manufactured, um, because of kind of our arbitrary, well, That's true. Kind it's of all like internal more. deadlines. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that was, that was really interesting. It's true. Yeah. I'm Um, sure. I mean, a lot of it is like me getting used to it and I totally agree. Like there's so much time in New York that I'm just like fluffing around, like doing nothing mm -hmm. that like I could just leave and do stuff, but it's like, it has to be a balance. Right. So I find here people are like, well, when they have to leave to pick up their kid at three 15, it's like a hard deadline. But when, we've run out of onions and customers are not going to get their boxes and we're going to get error rates and people are going to cancel and hate us. Like there's no flexibility, you know what I mean? So it's gotta be like some, like obviously your family and your kid is important, but like also we're paying you and it's a physical product that has to get out the door at a certain time. So like, I think Mm -hmm. you can't put so much emphasis on one and then zero emphasis on the other. Like it has to be some sort of a balance. Well, exactly. I think it's always about the balance. And I think a lot of this is about, you know, defining what the one or two priorities are and just make sure in work that you're always moving the needle towards those priorities. Yeah. Or like figuring out how to make it work such that one isn't suffering. Like, I think it's totally fine if you want to leave early, but it's like, don't leave like it also for this is just like a general this is turning into a really long millennial moment but it's very frustrating to me that like work ends up being pushed to teammates that don't have kids and yeah. don't have any like work life obligations oh, yeah. like yeah i see sure. this with the woman that i'm training with like she lives alone in denver she doesn't have a boyfriend or anything she's single like she moved here kind of recently like in the last I would say year. So I think she's Mm -hmm. still kind of like building up her social life. So she doesn't really have a lot going on and people definitely take advantage of that where they're like, Mm -hmm. well, I have to leave to be with my kid and my family. And like, I have plans this weekend, but like she doesn't and people know that and it's kind of like an unspoken thing. And so they're like, oh, well, if it needs to be reworked, like she'll just do it. And that like really, really bothers me. Yeah, no, totally. I think, uh, I think that's completely true. And I've definitely in the past felt felt that pressure on myself. So I get it. Um, not to hurry us along, but yes. my millennial, millennial moment, moment is that I'm on the hot mass express and <laughs> left my computer charger at my new office. And my laptop is kind of old, uh, cause I'm kind of poor right now. And it just went from 32% battery to 
27 to 25 to 14. So, so we're we rushing keep this through. moving. So we're not rushing, but I want to keep it moving. And that's my millennial moment. And life is good. And I'm glad to be back on the air. Yes. That sounds real. We love it. Lame. All right. Well, so. we can go into the hot topics. You said you didn't have any, and I have two. So great. Shall we just Move dive it. right in? Okay. Let's dive right in. So the one that's a little less that I thought was funny. So it's in the um, most recent issue of New York Magazine with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the cover, and they did this article um, called "Dated Dated Disruptors: Hamilton and the Book of Mormon Change Theater in the 2010s. Why don't they hold up?" And hmm. I. Love this article for many reasons. It's really short, so we'll link to it. You all should definitely read it, but it goes through um, this person, Helen Shaw, that wrote this article. She went to go see Book of Mormon, which is still playing on Broadway recently, mm-hmm. and then she also saw Hamilton, and kind of looking at both of these shows that I think kind of defined Broadway when they opened, mm-hmm. like Book of Mormon, I think in some ways was maybe a door opener for Hamilton, kind of these different mm-hmm. sort of musicals. And then obviously Hamilton blew up and everyone knows it. Um, but I actually just recently saw Book of Mormon for the third time. Mm-hmm. I saw it like right when it came out. And then I saw it in London, maybe, I don't know, six years ago. And mm-hmm. then I just saw it over the summer because Corey had never seen it. And so we went for mm-hmm. his birthday and this person, all this uh, journalist, had a very similar feeling to what I had about it mm-hmm. that like it's still it's such a technically good show like it hits mm-hmm. all the beats like the songs are catchy the acting is really good like even though that they're on like the umpteenth iteration past the mm-hmm. original cast like every time I've seen it the cast members are always really good but like mm-hmm. the parts where that have you seen Book of Mormon do you know like any I've of the- seen Book of Mormon twice and I'm actually gonna go see the traveling show uh we are taking young Jackson, Kristen and I, uh, for a treat in May. So well, he will yeah. like the potty humor for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see your reaction when you see it after not seeing it for many years. But mm-hmm. it's still super funny. But it's definitely, I think, that the brand, like the soft, the South Park brand of like shock humor isn't as popular mm-hmm. anymore. And you can tell that the audience has kind of like chilled to it. So like it still is a super funny show. It still gets a lot of laughs, but it's very like the parts where they go to Uganda and you have like a lot of the jokes are about how everyone in Africa has AIDS, like have not aged super well, I will say. And I could definitely tell that a lot of the audience wasn't laughing as hard. Like they're still, I think, very technically good jokes from a comedic perspective, but like it's just kind of one note and the author makes of this piece makes a really good note that like throughout the whole time that you're watching it, you think that you're going to be making fun of Mormons when actually I think a lot of people come out of that show and they see, they learn something about Mormonism actually. And they Mm -hmm. see the humanity and like these people are going into these underserved communities and preaching a very nice message. Um, Mm -hmm. And that same level of humanity isn't afforded any of the, black characters in the show like they're very one note like these people are Mm -hmm. all poor and they're kind of almost used as a set piece um yeah so that hasn't aged very well but still very good show and then yeah which I thought was really interesting because Hamilton hasn't been out for as long she kind of had the opposite critique of Hamilton that Mm. the content 
obviously is very timeless, but it's such a technically difficult show with all of the rapping mm-hmm. and stuff that yeah. the actors that they have in it now are not nearly as good as the original Broadway cast. Interesting. And it's not as enjoyable of an experience compared to Book of Mormon where you'll, I'm sure in the traveling show, like mm-hmm. it'll sound just as good, be just as technically good as when it was on Broadway. But mm-hmm. Hamilton, like the traveling cast isn't as good and they're not able to hit all those beats with the really hard singing and rapping mm-hmm. and dancing that the show yeah. has. Um, yeah. And it's, and because of that, the author says it's not going to age as well because not everyone can perform it up to the stuff mm-hmm. it's supposed to. So very interesting. interesting. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. I agree. The second time I saw Book of Mormon, I, it wasn't as, I, I, well, it, once I you think f- it was hear the funny. jokes too. It's yeah. like you kind of anticipate them. Yeah. Well, and I also think Book of Mormon is one of those where, and I think Hamilton as well, it's so much about the experience of seeing it in the theater and, um, you know, you, you do, it, it really, you do respond to depending on the way the rest of the crowd responds. So, yeah, I um, definitely felt that watching it in London too, because there's so many like specific jo- like one of my favorite jokes that I think is so funny just like as an aside in Book of Mormon is when they talk about there's like a line where the one guy is like my mom my dad used to beat up my mom every time the Utah Jazz would lose which is such a funny joke because they're a losing team so it's like every day every so and I think that joke is so funny and they in London no one got it because no one knows that the Utah Jazz is a losing team so like no one laughed at it besides like me and my family um yeah so definitely the crowd plays into it for sure well it's interesting I kind of wish I had been a, a longer article because I would love to hear this woman's opinion on what about, you know, these musicals that get revived and is there something that is really more timeless about these? And I'm trying to even think what would be a good example. Like the, like the, they just had Oklahoma just got yeah, revived. Oklahoma, exactly. Or and um, we have like a, the actress that just won the Tony is in a wheelchair and she's the mm-hmm. lead in Oklahoma. Yeah. And I feel like that can be really fun and beautiful and, and, and why maybe do those, those musicals is it because of the simplicity of them and because you can be experimental in them without losing that uh that timeless piece so anyway very interesting moving on okay nine (laughs) percent my second one so this is an article that i've been wanting to talk about for a while but we haven't had a friendship episode or a deep dive that really goes into it but it's a buzzfeed article and it's called we can finally end the myth of the lazy millennial, all those headlines, all those jokes, all the misrepresentations about America's most deliciously hateable adults. And it's kind of like a clickbaity headline that doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the article, but Mm -hmm. they basically asked the rest of the BuzzFeed community, like normal people, to submit stories of basically what would you say to someone that says you're a lazy millennial to kind of counteract Mm -hmm. that. And what they ended up getting was like, I think they published around 50 snippets of the story, so we'll post to it. Um, But it was a lot of examples of, okay, people are living at home. Why are they living at home? It's not necessarily because the millennials can't afford to live elsewhere. It's because they're taking care of their parents. Mm -hmm. So the article kind of morphs into how much responsibility millennials are taking on from Gen X and baby boomers. And it's a lot Mm -hmm. of, and this is a phenomenon that, I've seen with a lot of my friends and have experienced it in a variety of ways, like older boomers that get laid off or fired or are forced Mm -hmm. to retire, like 
three to six years before the time that they're ready. And then they're basically unhirable a lot of times. And then they just have to kind of take an early retirement and lose out on those high earning dollars Mm -hmm. um, and rely on their younger millennial um, children to take care of them or Mm -hmm. people that are disabled or get health issues that make them unable to work. Or I thought this one was really interesting. Um, Like many baby boomers, my parents had no retirement plan and had been using their house as a piggy bank for years. So boomers that have really nice houses or houses in Mm -hmm. kind of up and coming neighborhoods and are like, I don't need to save because my house is is worth a lot. And then lo and behold, Mm -hmm. it's not worth as much as they thought. And then of course, if you sell Mm -hmm. your house, you still have to find another place to live that might Mm -hmm. also be expensive. So it's just like a losing strategy. Um, you know, talking about small businesses, like a lot of, um, older people build businesses. I'm thinking like medical practices or stores, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, assuming that their children will want to take it over. And that doesn't happen a lot of times. And then they're forced they don't have any succession plan and then they're forced to sell it for less than it's worth. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then just like the general trend of people that have irresponsible parents that don't save and then a catastrophe happens or more unfortunately when parents pass away and then they realize that there either were There's no savings that, that they yeah. thought was there or people didn't set themselves up well. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, it's kind of like a, some of the stories are hard and tough, but I think it shows that maybe going back to my millennial moment of people assume that millennials don't have anything going on, especially single millennials, but oftentimes they are supporting older people, either parents or mm-hmm. grandparents back home or sending money if they're immigrants overseas or, you know, yeah. paying bills for, um, you know, other people in their lives and you don't really know people's situations. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I completely agree with that. And I think this is something that I brought up time and time again. Uh, You know, boomers and millennials, we are not prepared to take care of this aging population. And I think even the most prepared boomers, you know, know, again, I think I just kind of learn, I keep, you know, given an experience I had over the summer of, you know, taking care of an elderly relative towards the end of, of his life and then what we've been going through, you know, and this is someone who had everything in order. He had his will and he had, you know, a living will and all of this stuff. And yet there's still so much that happened and so much money that his daughter had to lay out. Um, even if she gets reimbursed from his estate, you know, there's a lot that has to happen. Um kind of along the way. And I just think we're not prepared in a, you know, systemically to deal with the aging population in a way that is full of dignity for both the aging and their caregivers. And, you know, millennials, you know, I'll be interested to see how they take up this mantle. And if, if there is a major change in the way we treat the elderly and those, and the active elderly, because I think what it means to be elderly looks a lot different. You know, if I hear now that somebody has passed away at 70, my reaction is, oh my gosh, it's that they're so young, you know, but a lot of, a lot can happen between 70 and 80. And, and I, you know, I just hope that we can all be prepared and we are comfortable, you know, which is something I learned that you have to do, which is like, ask your parents, like, do you have a will? You know, what, what happens to your assets when you die? 
what happens to your assets if you need extended care? How are we going to deal with these things? And hopefully they will never come up. But I really feel passionate about, you know, how can we empower other millennials um, to to ask these questions uh, before it's too late? Yeah, you have to. And especially if you I think more millennials are moving away from home. And that's what I Mm -hmm. liked about this article was it was highlighting the millennials that stay. And I've seen that oftentimes. And I even wonder it for myself. Like, I don't, I don't have any question in my mind that my parents are like financially well off. Like, I don't think I would ever have to support them barring some extreme incident, but like I live far away and my brother lives at home. So like if there was ever an acute emergency, like he would be the one that was taking the brunt of that. And I'm, kind of more removed from it Mm -hmm. um and I think that that's a pattern that a lot of families are in where there's maybe a core group that's home and then you're kind of the Mm -hmm. one that's off to the side and so those conversations that might inevitably happen over the dinner table you're not a part of and then you're coming into it um so that's definitely one thing and yeah I think you have to have the conversation and like when you're talking to people just realizing that you don't know their situation and Mm -hmm. you know I've even seen it like I was talking to an older woman that I know through Kappa or whatever and she is working and she was like talking about how the people she's like a higher manager at her company and Mm -hmm. she was talking about how the younger people she was like oh well like so and so like they're a high performer but you know she had like a pool of money to give out for raises or whatever and she Mm -hmm. was like well she's younger she like doesn't have any kids so like I basically implying that she was Mm going to give the raise to someone who had kids. And it's like, but you don't know anything about the rest of her life. Like you don't Mm -hmm. know if she's supporting parents or whatever. So I think it's from the millennials perspective, definitely a good PSA to talk to your parents, but it's also a good PSA for older people that like, you don't know anything about why people are living at home or why they're forced to do that or anything about Mm -hmm. their life. So, well, and I think just, I think, especially as women, uh, there, we become caregivers in a lot of different roles and to acknowledge that, you know, as our boomer population ages, there'll be a lot, many new and different caregiving roles. And it's not, you know, like it was for older generations where, you know, a family would have six kids and one of them would be designated the caretaker right. and live at home because they were the, be, they were the old maid or the old bachelor, <laughs> usually the old maid. I mean, that's not how it works yeah, anymore. Totally. Uh, so. Yeah. We all saw, have you seen the Joker movie? No. Okay. Well, Look, I, we all, Joaquin he's Phoenix scares me. Yeah. I, I have a lot of opinions about Joaquin Phoenix because he simultaneously, scares me but also i'm very attracted to him yeah Mm. so i think it's the johnny cash thing not so much the joker thing oh yeah he was hot i mean i was more attracted to june carter cash in the johnny or in the movie with joaquin phoenix and uh, reese witherspoon what a doll yes but um anyways um I, i agree basically spoiler alert he's like the old bachelor that like lives with his mom and then she dies and he's like what is my purpose um so don't end up like the Joker. Don't murder people. Yeah. Don't take on too much Bad. responsibility that Bad you don't call. are not equipped for, um, especially if you also have underlying mental health issues. Um, <laughs> Good PSA, Maddie. Um, I'm at 4%, right. so should okay. we move into the friendship bracelet? Yes. Let me... Okay, this is good. If you could enroll in a PhD program with your tuition paid in full by a mysterious benefactor, what would you study and why? 
I mean, English literature. It's my goal. It was my whole goal in life to get a, a PhD. And um, it didn't happen because academia is a very broken industry right now. But if I could, if I had a private benefactor that was like, just go get a PhD for the fun of it, and you never have to worry about publishing or doing anything, then I would be like, yes, done. How about yes. you? Um, I feel like there's a lot of different things. Like, there's a lot of things that I'm passionate about. I feel like I've been in this, like, food mode just because I've, like, been eating food all day at work and talking to, like, nutritionists and food scientists and stuff. So part mm-hmm. of me is, like, I could get a PhD surrounding the science of food because I think there's so much disinformation around there and so much stuff that people are like this is the newfangled thing that like is going to change your life and it's like actually like from working at a food company like a ton of it is marketing Mm -hmm. well it's not pseudoscience it's like it's not even it's not even that there's any science behind it it's just like we respond to what the customer wants so if we give you a plate of like it's just a plain chicken breast with cheese on it Mm-hmm. People love that shit. It does. It's not really good for you. Yeah. It gets the highest recipe score. We're going to keep giving you that regardless of mm-hmm. the fact that like we know it's not good for you. You know what I mean? So it's more yeah. so like we're giving you a service that you want versus like we're signaling to the market what's good for people. Um, mm. But obviously there's like a happy medium between that and there is like yeah. guideposts and stuff that you have to hit. So that's obviously an extreme example. We're not just going to send you a chicken breast with cheese on it and nothing else. Um mm-hmm. But there's a lot of diets and stuff and certain, like, produce items and organic Mm -hmm. versus conventional. And a lot of it is just, like, not anything that's going to impact your life in any meaningful way. So um, that's really interesting. And I wish that that there was a way to, like, make that digestible to the population. So I'll go with that. I'm sure there's other stuff that I obviously... I mean, if I could just be a student, someone would pay me $100,000 a year to just go read books and sit in on classes and maybe write the occasional paper for my own edification. That would be like my yeah. ideal life. Totally agree. Like I, that's why I love this podcast because it forces me to read articles and stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. Next question. This is actually really good given your English literature answer to oh, the last great. question. If you could have tea with one fictional character, who would it be? I don't with one fictional character. Or you could give a couple if you have too many to think about. I mean, I think honestly, like, it would probably, like, for something, mm, it would probably have to be, like, Hermione Granger or something. You know, it, would, it wouldn't it's actually like a poppy be. one? Yeah, it would be. I'm surprised you didn't think, say Anne from Anne of Green Gables. I thought of that too, but. You know too much about her. Already. I know too much about her. I don't know. I, it, it'd be, have to be somebody that I feel like I I wanted to like get to the bottom of the mystery. Yeah, that's true. I this is hard for me because I don't read a lot of fiction. Like I really only mm-hmm. I'm trying to even think of the last fiction book I read. I think it was like a Jodi Picoult book, which like is not really character driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I'm like thinking back to high school because that was like the last time I read like a very good fiction book. Um, yeah. I don't know, like the classics. Yeah. Like Crime and Punishment. I really liked that book. I don't even remember the name of the guy that's like the main guy, but that's like a very interesting yeah. book about well, psychos. So, yeah, I think that's so interesting. I mean, maybe I'd want to have lunch with like 
or tea with like Joe March because oh, yeah. it's it's those those characters who make choices that are that oh, are yeah out of or character. like um who's like the main lady from Pride and Prejudice oh uh yeah uh, Liz Lizzie Bennet yes yeah that would be a good one yeah because especially in those books it's like you know the reason. Louisa May Alcott wrote that Joe married Professor Bauer was because or Professor spoiler Bear. alert spoiler alert uh, although she doesn't marry him in the new movie also spoiler alert um I always say spoiler alert after I, I actually say it's the fine. thing so therefore it's useless whatever uh, I don't believe in spoiler alerts anyways Alcott was basically her publisher was like Joe has to marry somebody at the end of the novel mm. so Alcott was like I am going to create <laughs> the least lovable <laughs> love interest for her and then force her to marry her. That's bitches. so interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, and very similar with the Austin books. It, you know, yeah. most of her characters fall in love because that's what the, the publishers wanted. Ugh, sexism. We love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at 2%, by the way. Okay, great. We Sorry. can do more questions. This has been a nail biter. I'll ju- I know. People are at the edge of their seats. I'll just, if it cuts out, I'll just wrap it up nicely. We'll finish up. Okay. Love um, you, campers. Love you. Or you can call me and I can just put the phone next to the microphone. Okay. okay. If um. Okay, this is very time. I'm like skipping around to the more interesting ones. Yeah. If you could say this is very timely given the Australia fires, RIP. If yeah. you could save one endangered species from extinction, which would you choose? I would choose um an ugly one because if you read about like uh, conservation, uh, it's always there's the cuddly ones. Yeah, the cuddly ones always get saved, but the ugly ones don't. But I guess, or I would say polar bears, because even though they're cuddly and adorable, like they're really, really fucked. And if I could save them, I think it would actually save a lot of other animals. I have to say, just from like a utilitarian standpoint, probably the species of bees. Shout out to when we went to that bee seminar when we were camping. That was so good. Also, we have to stop drinking almond milk, everyone. Oh, is that true? Because it kills bees. I just read an article about it. Um, oat yeah. milk is the new thing I've heard. I know. It's good. It's, you know, Odie. Um, oh, this is interesting. If you had an extra $100 to spend on yourself every week, what would you do? I know what I would do. I would get my nails done. Slash a blowout. Every week. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't like gel. I, I don't. Yeah. It creeps me out. I just started doing dip. Oh. This whole thing. Um, I would probably also get my nails done, but because I do dip, I only do it once a month. So I feel like the other three weeks, I would probably blow it on like, oh God, I'd probably use something responsible, like put it in my 401k. No, Oof. boo. It's only $100. You got to do something That's fun. That's true. Well, I'd probably buy a lot of books because yeah. as I told David recently, my life financial goal is that I can walk into a bookstore at any time and drop as much money as I want and <laughs> it Did wouldn't like affect that? my budget. What? Did he like that answer? Yeah, he supports me in that. And he also realizes that even if I bought whatever I wanted, I probably could not spend more than like $100 a week on that. Yeah, so. that's true. It's like how much are books that you you could yeah. get like and then 10 then you books. Actually for have to read them. Yeah, so there's like it slows it down. I know. I got so many books for Christmas and they're all piling up. Okay. If you were searching through an online dating website, what's the number one quality slash trait that would attract you to someone's profile? A nice smile. David had a nice smile on his. Also, I can I it's hard to answer that question, but I can tell you all the things I wouldn't go for. Yeah. So also um, I judge you if you have a picture with your like or I would have judged you if you have a picture with like some niece or nephew or a puppy trying to pander me. to me. Don't yeah. pander. That's true. I am a big proponent of like 
there has to be something interesting in the written. I feel like the dating apps too, compared to like when I was on them, which was like a bajillion years ago, they're much better. Like I look at my friends now and it's this like, is true. they have more information because I truly think like if I saw Corey on a dating app, swipe left for sure. On record, oh, swipe left. Oh, poor Corey. Okay. hundred percent. He could not, he's going to listen to this and hate this, but he would not be able to take, he is the first one to admit he would not be on a dating app anyways. Cause he's just yeah. like, is not, that's not his personality, but his pictures that he would have taken of himself in his oh, barracks would room would have been horrendous. Yeah. And he is like, his hobbies are like, I go to the gym and I go to school and I play video games and like do modeling. And like, those are things that now like, I have appreciated. But if I was seeing that on a dating app, I'm like, I have nothing in common with this person yeah. left, yeah. you know? So anyways, yeah. um, I'm at 1%, okay. so I think we should wrap. Should we do one more? Okay, real quick. Okay. Fire. Um, Rapid fire. This is a good one. If you wrote romance novels or erotic fiction, what would your pen name be? I wouldn't have a pen name. I would <laughs> own it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I probably yeah. would too. Yeah. I mean, I love that. I'm yeah. not going to give somebody else credit for my work. Yeah. Psh. Even a pseudonym. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, that's yeah. a good place to end. Very yeah, empowering. Campers. Thank you. Thank you for bearing with us with our short episode. And mm-hmm. Maddie, thank I'm you. I'm sure when I listen back to this, it's going to be like horrible audio quality because I'm in an echoey hotel room on my crappy mic, but that's okay. We're making it work. We have love a it. mic. 2020. Sounds good to me. New year, new us. Okay. Woo, 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 All right. Woo. All right. See you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.